0: Howdy folks. Greetings to you all from Dallas, Texas. Now that I've exhausted all my Texan English, let me speak to you in proper English. Good morning. Greetings from our family to you. Uh, Pastor mano thank you. And, and the elders, thank you as well for giving me this opportunity to bring to you God's word yet again. You know, one thing that has been a silver lining for me in, in all of this chaos and pandemic is just this technological availability and accessibility to, to to preach to you, to bring to you God's word from far off, so it's a great opportunity for me to to interact with you in some way, although virtually. Shall we pray before we look into God's word, Father? We come before you, still our hearts and minds. There is a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, what's going to be the new normal? Uh, but in all of that, Father, we know that you are the constant. So we want to hear from you. While the world is crumbling and changing and every day there's something new, Lord, you are the only constant. So speak to us, your heart, your mind, your vision, and let our ears be attentive to your voice even if it is a still small voice. Speak to us for we are your people. This is your word. We are your church. For I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. My favorite sport to watch after cricket is soccer or football. Italy has always been the team that I have supported. I know Italy hasn't done well lately. In fact they were not even qualified for the last World Cup, but I've been an Italy supporter. The, the, the proud fan moment for me was the 2006 World Cup final between Italy and France. Well, that match was filled with drama. So you had the France star player Thierry Henry retire, uh, injured and then and going off the field. Zidane had his infamous headbutt uh, with Materazzi and he was sent off. The, man, the match went down to the wire. Penalty shootouts, five to each side. So Italy went first and scored their goal. France went second, scored their goal. Italy again went and scored the second goal. It was France' turn now. Uh, David Trezeguet, another star player in uh, French lineup, he went. All eyes were on him. The cup was at stake and he was about to take the shot. He runs and takes the shot and the ball is flying and it hits the crossbar but doesn't go in the goal. That missed shot, that missed penalty cost France the World Cup. Such a crunch moment and all the skill of David, David Trezeguet did not amount to anything. He crumbled under pressure. I can't even begin to imagine the weight on his shoulder being the cause of a loss World Cup that too, to his team, and Azuris won the day. Whoa! You see, our faith is tested every day. But we do not want our faith to crumble. We do not want our faith to develop cracks under pressure. We want a rock-solid faith. We want a faith that persists. We want a faith that's concrete, solid, that pleases God every day. So this morning, we're going to look at one way how we can develop, how we can cultivate that rock-solid, persisting faith. And we're going to see uh, or look for it in our passage, which is John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. Uh, That's our passage for this morning, John chapter 4, verse 43 to 54. And we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at a glimpse of a superficial faith. And then we're going to look at a glimpse of a sincere faith. Superficial faith and sincere faith. So let's dive into the text. John chapter 4 verse 43. In fact, our passage starts from chapter 4 verse 3. We see John recording that Jesus was in Jerusalem, Judea. So he leaves Judea and departs for Galilee. And then we know that he takes a theological detour and goes to Samaria and interacts with the woman there and then the town there. And then in verse 43, we are told that after two days, he departed for Galilee. So Jesus went on a different route. He took a detour and now he's back on track and he has arrived in Galilee in verse 43. Now, John tells us in verse 44, he records a dialogue, a speech from Jesus. And verse 44 says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor In his hometown. Now Jesus where is the rejection? What honor are you talking about? We have not even heard a word from others. You have just spoken. You have entered Galilee and you have just uh, you have spoken that there is no honor for you. I can see that there's a rejection against Jesus or for Jesus in Jerusalem in chapter 2 when he cleanses the temple. There is opposition there but he has just arrived in Galilee and he says there is no honor for the prophet in his own hometown. In fact, if you look at the next verse, verse 45, it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had been there. So what's going on there? Galileans are welcoming Jesus, but Jesus says there is no honor for a prophet in his own hometown. That's a difficult question to answer. But let's move on. Let's move on. Verse 46 and and we'll see how we can answer that question. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made water, wine. Now that's an important detail and we'll come back to that later. And then John goes on and he tells us that at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. Now, please don't mistake this official with the centurion in the other Gospels. This is not the same episode. He's, in fact, a royal official in the court of Herod. He's probably a Jew, not even a Gentile. So so this is a different miracle. Let's read on. And when this man had heard that Jesus has come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So this man comes to Jesus, this desperate father who comes to Jesus looking for healing of, uh, for his son and asks Jesus to come with him to heal his son. And right off the back, Jesus rebukes him. What's going on? A second question. You see, it's a tricky passage. Now, all the money that I have paid for Dallas Seminary, my education will be worth it. In just this one sermon in order to find the answer to our questions why did Jesus say that prophet has no honor and then why did he rebuke this royal official we've got to go back to chapter 2 we've got to back uh, back trace and go back to chapter 2 verse 23 let's read verse 23 now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing well that's great Jesus did signs in Jerusalem although John doesn't give us the details but Jesus did many signs in Jerusalem and people believed in his name and the same people are now in Galilee welcoming him so Jesus what's your problem did Peter burn your fish today did you not have a good breakfast why aren't you happy people have put their faith in you isn't that what you warned? No. Verse 24. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So you can paraphrase these three verses that, that people put their trust in Jesus, but Jesus did not trust them because Jesus knew them. Jesus knew that their faith was superficial. They saw the signs and wonders and believed in Jesus. They saw the signs and wonders that he was doing and they believed in him. But the question is, what was the content of their faith? Who was the object of their faith? Before we answer that question, we have to ask another question. And the question is, why did Jesus rebuke the official? You see, English doesn't give us a good idea because when Jesus rebukes the official, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The the word you there is a plural, you all. So Jesus is not just rebuking the official. Jesus, in fact, is rebuking the Galileans, the people who welcomed him and the official. You see, the father has come up to Jesus. He is not interested in a theological lesson. He is not interested in redemption. He is not interested in God. He just wants his son to be healed. And perhaps he has exhausted all his medical options. And now a—he's he's desperate. His son is on the brink of death. And all he wants is for Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus rebukes him saying, you will certainly not believe unless you see the signs and wonders, my dear friends, this man comes to Jesus for temporary satisfaction. Even if it is out of desperation, he's only coming to Jesus for temporary satisfaction. You see, when Jesus said that there is There is no honor for the prophet in his own homeland. He's not just talking about Galilee. He's talking about Galilee and Jerusalem because his rejection happened in Jerusalem. And both these territories are filled with Jews. In fact, he's talking about Jews as his people. The prophet does not have honor amongst his own people. We know that John tells us in John 1.11 that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In Samaria, the Samaritans, that woman and the town received him. They believed in him, but his own people, whom he came to, did not believe him. They only believed in him because they saw the signs. They believed in the signs, not really the man behind the signs. You see, the object of their faith was a miracle worker who could fulfill their desires, fulfill their wishes, heal their sick, raise their dead, fill their bellies, nothing more and nothing more. Less a miracle worker. That's it. Some of you know that I come from a non-Christian background, and three years ago I had this awesome privilege and an honor to see my mom believe in Christ. And that was such a great moment for me. After a few days of her confession, I, I, I went to visit her and I asked her in conversation, I asked her mom, why do you really believe in Christ? And she said, Joy, I believe in Christ because. Um, because he, he answers my prayers, because he provides for me and he can heal me. You see, a lot of us are attracted to Christ or believe in Christ like the Galileans. We come to him because of what he offers, what he can do for us, not because of who he is a lot of us survive on one miracle after another, one answered prayer after one answer prayer, one ministry success after another and when we have the miracle drought hit, when we have no answer and radio silence from God even after incessant prayers and fasting and when our ministry success takes a nose dra- dive, our faith begins to dwindle we come to Christ not because of who he is, but because of what he can do for us. We call him the Lord. And yet we want him to wash our feet, uh, metaphorically speaking. We call him Lord, but we still want him to serve us. We want him to prove himself over and over and over with signs after signs after signs. Jesus knows that their faith is superficial. Jesus knows that their faith is spurious, that while they see the signs and believe in the signs, they fail to see the person behind the signs. You see, Israel was no different. In fact, Israel was a prototype of this kind of faith. God redeemed Israel out of Egypt and God set them on a journey the distance from Goshen in Egypt, where Israel uh, uh, left from, to Canaan was about 35 to 40 days uh, distance. They saw the 10 plagues. They saw the glory of God in 10 plagues. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw water coming out of the rock. They saw manna fall from the sky. But the moment the desert heat got to them, the moment the manna tasted bland They turned against God and they failed to see the God behind the signs. They got so used to the signs, they believed in him because of the signs that he was doing, but failed to see who he really was and how, with an outstretched arm, he redeemed them from Egypt. And the result was that none of those people who first left Egypt, apart from Caleb and Joshua, got to see the promised land. The whole generation perished. They wanted God to prove himself again and again and again. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Way of Glory, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures looking of fooling about with, with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who goes on to make mud pies in the slum because he does not know what it means to have an offer to go to the sea and enjoy it. C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak, the desires to see the sign, the desires for God to prove himself again and again and again and see the miraculous every day. C.S. Lewis says, that's so weak. You see, superficial faith seeks miraculous from God. That's it. Superficial faith seeks for the miraculous from God and is satisfied with it. Nothing more, nothing less. So we saw the glimpse of a superficial faith in the the Galileans. And now we'll see a glimpse of the sincere faith. So again, going back to our story with the royal official. So the royal official comes, his son is on the brink of death, and he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to come down and heal him. But Jesus rebukes him. But this rebuke does not seem to deter our man the royal official. In fact, uh, verse 49, he again requests, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. What happened there? What changed? How come... Jesus is suddenly complying and doing what that man asked. But is Jesus doing what that man asked? That man asked for Jesus to come with him, accompany him. And Jesus says, go, go back home. Your son lives. Another way to translate the Greek is your son lives. And the man got to ask Jesus, but Aren't you supposed to come down with me? Aren't you supposed to do some magic over my son? Aren't you supposed to say some incantation, whisper him in the ear, make some ointment, put him on his put it on his body, and lift him up? But he doesn't say that. What does he say? The text tells us that the man believed in the words that Jesus spoke to him and left. The man believed in the word that Jesus spoke to him, and left you see the theme of belief is big in john the verb to believe is used 98 times in john far more than any other gospel or any other book in the new testament and so far in john to chapter 4 we have seen different people believing in canaan during the first sign that jesus did we see disciples believing Jesus goes to Jerusalem and does a lot of signs and we see people believing in him, although we know that it was a superficial faith. Then we see Jesus going to uh, Samaria and we see uh, the woman at the well uh, believing and the townsfolk believing in him. And then now we see this uh, royal official believing, but there's, different, there's something different about this belief. All the other beliefs that we looked at uh, were followed by signs or signs preceded those beliefs. You had uh, water turned into wine, you had miracles in Jerusalem, you had Jesus tell this woman her past and her present. But here, there is no sign. Although Jesus tells the Father, go and your son will live, but the, but the Father or, or the sign does not actualize. Father does not know whether his son is going to be healed or not he does not know if his son is going to live the text tells us that he believed in the word that jesus spoke to him and that jesus said to him that your son will live so with that this man believing what jesus said he leaves to go back home i don't know about you but if my daughter was in that position and if I had a long journey back home, his home was about uh, 35 to 40 kilometers. That's about a day and a half journey on foot. And if I had that long to travel back home without mobile phones, without any way to communicate with my home, uh, you know, through the journey, I'd be thinking, did I make the right choice? Did I place my bet right? Or did I just waste my time chasing after this miracle worker rather than spending The dying moments with my daughter. I would have thought that. And I wonder if this man is thinking that while he's going back home. You see, in January 2012, uh, we left to uh, be in Australia for three years. But I vividly remember that our tickets were booked for uh, January 23rd. It was a Monday. Our flights were at 9 a.m. Uh, and 6 a.m. We, we had to clock in at the airport uh, but there was a problem and the problem was till Friday evening we did not have, Janice and I did not have our passports stamped and in our hands from the Australian High Commission. We were told that they are delayed and on Friday evening in the last lot the passports will come to the VFS office which is a narrow place and we were supposed to go there at 4 p.m. And we reached there and uh, we realized that last lot had come, but just two of our passports did not come. And by the time we realized that, it was 4.30. So I immediately called the Australian High Commission, which is in Chanakipuri, about 12 kilometers away. And I spoke to a woman on the phone and she said, look, come here and we'll give you your passports. She was very generous. And by the time all of this happened, it was 4.40. And I was supposed to go to Australian High Commission in Chandakipur, you know if you know Delhi, if you know Nero place, you know the traffic around that area 12 kilometers and I know that the Australian High Commission shuts at five so I drove I mean (laughs) you can only imagine how I drove so I reached there I parked about a couple of hundred meters away in a private parking lot which was unauthorized and I ran and I ran so I finally arrived there a sigh of relief but the moment I look at my watch it's five past five and the embassy is shut. All my drive, although it was a short drive, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I could only think of one thing, how much loss will I incur if I have to rebook my tickets, cancel my tickets 48 hours prior to the day of travel and then book again, how much loss am I going to incur but at the same time the words of that woman were ringing in my ears your passport you'll get your passport so i stand there five past five the high Commissioner is shot and i stand there uh, completely dejected but the security guard comes out he looks at me and he says are you joy i'm like yes do you have any id on you i show him my license and he verifies and he hands me with this package card- And he says, "Uh, here you go. Uh, A lady gave it to me to give it to you, uh, even if you arrive after the closing hours. Who hands over a passport to a security guard at a high commission? If you have experienced that, great. I have never experienced that. That woman kept her word. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live or your son lives. And he himself believed in all his household. So he's going back to his house, probably worried, concerned. And his servants meet him midway and they they tell him that your son is recovering. And the man asks him, what time did the fever leave him? And they said, about the seventh hour, which is about 1 p.m. their time. And he immediately knew that was the hour when Jesus said, your son lives. Your son lives lives his servants use the same language in fact john records they also say the same thing when they come and meet this royal official they said to him your son lives the same exact words that jesus used the miracle had already happened but the father had to believe in jesus first the belief came first but the sign, the miraculous, came only to strengthen his faith and bring his household to faith. He believed in the person before believing in what that person could do for him. He believed in Jesus' word. That's what the text says. My dear friends, for Jesus, genuine belief precedes any signs and wonders. Signs exist to strengthen your existing faith. The question again is, what was the content of this man's faith? Who was the object of his faith? In John 1.3 John tells us that in Jesus, talking about Jesus, he says in him was life. You go ahead, John chapter 3, verse 16. We know that uh, John tells us that whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. In John chapter 4, when, he's, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he says to her, The water that I'll give to you will spring up to eternal life. Life, life, life. And now, here Jesus says to the Son, He lives. He lives. This man believed in Jesus who had mastery over life. He believed in the person who created life. He believed in the person who was all source of life. Going back to when John points out in our passage that this was the first time uh, Jesus went back to Cana where he did the first sign. Now, why did Jesus, uh, John, sorry, point out that detail? What did Jesus do in Cana as first of the signs? He turned water into wine at a wedding feast. That wedding feast, that, that miraculous foreshadowed the joy that we will have at the wedding feast of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. This life given to this royal official's son is a sign of the eternal life that God has promised to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The object of this man's faith was Jesus who fulfills all our joy and gives us eternal life. Jesus is the source of all joy and all life. You see, superficial faith seeks for God. seeks God for the miraculous. Superficial faith seeks God for the miraculous, but sincere faith sees God in the miraculous. Superficial faith seeks for miraculous in God, but sincere faith sees God in the miraculous. I'm not saying that seeking miraculous is wrong, but if miraculous if the miracles of the signs that God does in your life and I would say daily because you wake up every day that's a miracle in itself if those signs and miracles and the miraculous is not enhancing the beauty of our savior in your mind and heart and in your life if it is not appreciating his value and his identity And if it is not taking you to a place of awe and wonder, then my brothers and sisters, you need to do a self-check here. Is your faith a superficial faith? Because if it is a superficial faith, when the wilderness hits in your life, your faith will crack and crumble. So I went to my mother and I asked her and she told me she believes in Jesus because he provides, he heals, he answers prayers and I asked her, I mean, what happens if he stops answering your prayer? What happens if you one day meet with an accident and you lose a limb? Will you stop believing in him? You see, he's first and foremost our savior. Savior from our sins, our life. That was headed to the trajectory of eternal damnation. Jesus did not take on humanity. Jesus did not bear the most painful and shameful death in the first century possible, so that you and I can only believe in what he is able to do, signs and miracles. But he did all of that so that we can believe in who he is, so that we. Stop asking God to prove ourselves again, prove himself again and again and again because on the cross, God has proven himself that he loves us. In reconciling us to himself, in this, in this renewal and restoration program, God has displayed his magnanimous love for us. You see, it reminds me of the episode in Daniel chapter 3. You have the three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar uh, passes a decree, erects a statue of himself, and tells everybody in the nation to bow down to him. These three Jews says, we're not going to do it. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if, said, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And that's what they say. They say... Our God is able to deliver us. He is able to deliver us from the furnace. He's able to deliver us from you, O King. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down to you. And the text says that not even a hair on their head was singed. Even the smell of fire was not coming from them. As they went in, they came out. God delivered them. But God's deliverance came after their faith. They trusted in God because of who he is, not because of what he can do. They said he can do it, but even if he doesn't, he is our God. We won't bow down to you. You see, some of you uh, are holding on to your faith by the skin of your teeth. Some of you have um, are surviving. Uh, You talk a good game but the vitality has left you long ago and some of you, as I said, are surviving one miracle after the other. My dear friends, don't be satisfied with less. Seek for the ultimate joy. Our Savior Our Lord Jesus is beautiful. Beautiful. Gaze upon his face daily. He's a source of life and light. Seek him. You want a robust faith? You want a rock solid faith that doesn't crumble and fall apart? Seek Christ for who he is. Your savior. He is God. God. He is your savior. He is your redeemer. He is your intercessor. That's who he is. Go to your somebody in your home group today. Speak to somebody in the church today. Ask them to take you into His Word and show you His beauty. Meditate on your on those passages day and day in and day out before you have a clear vision before you're able to see the magnificence and the beauty of our Savior and our God. You see, superficial faith seeks God for the miraculous, but a sincere faith sees God in the miraculous. Let me close with a sonnet from John Donne. it's a beautiful sonnet. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. But I would encourage you to go and read it. It's called a Back of My Heart or Three-Person God by John Donne. Let me just read a couple of verses. It says, Take me to you. Imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, will never be free nor ever chaste, unless... You ravish me. Let me repeat. Take me to you. Imprison me. Let me be your captive. For I, unless you enthrall me, will never be free. Nor ever chaste, unless you ravish me. My dear brothers and sisters, my prayer for you, my friends, my prayer for you is that you will be enthralled by our Savior, that you will be enthralled by the beauty and magnificence of our Savior, and that you will be ravished by his prodigious love. For I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.